Welcome to the Becoming Titans podcast. I'm Russ Yeager, founder and CEO of Body Transformation University. I help busy business owners and executives get a beach-ready body without killing themselves in the gym hours every day, giving up the foods they love, or taking away time from their family or business. I believe putting your health first is the most important thing you can do to propel your business and financial success, ignite passion in relationships, and to live a happier, more fulfilled life. Stick around to the end of the show and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest on one of the fastest growing inspirational podcasts on the planet in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. Welcome to the show. Today I have with me Keysan Patel. He's the CEO and founder of MA Science and Deal Room. He's got some really cool stuff going on. We we're just talking about how fast his company's growing. So, so pumped to have you on today, Keysan. How are you, brother? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Russ. Awesome, man. Great to be here. So let's jump into it, man. So I want to know, and I know my audience wants to know, how did you, you know, get into your your business? Why did you start Deal Room? And and then tell us a little bit about what you guys do. Sure. Pretty typical founder story. I worked in M&A for about 10 years as an advisor, helping companies buy, sell other businesses. And with that experience, you get a pretty good understanding of the pain points in the industry. I got a lot of the inspiration from the software industry and was particularly intrigued by the way software engineers would use project management tools to manage building software and thought, why not for M&A? That's what led to starting Deal Room in 2012 as a solution for managing M&A more efficiently. We focused on one problem, the due diligence process. When you buy a company, you have to request a bunch of information. It's a lot of it's confidential information. You have a lot of follow-up questions back and forth. This is all done in Excel. It's a really cumbersome, tedious, inefficient process. We worked on that had a good solution for it. Then over time, we found adjacent problems. We started solving for what happens after the deal when you have to integrate the companies and combine them together, which is a huge magnitude of change management that tends to be a frustrating, painful experience for a lot of the people going through it. Can we create better organization, better execution? So that process becomes more efficient as well. And then in the recent years, we've added pipeline management functionality in the front end when you're going through finding those opportunities and managing that. And today it's become a full life cycle management solution. Then over time, we started adding other lines around education. We noticed our industry lacked best practices and thought, why not leverage a podcast as a platform to enable practitioners to share their lessons learned and then in turn document those lessons, identify the patterns, find the real proven techniques in the industry. And we started publishing books, which led to events that we would host, roundtable events, and uh, eventually a full online academy program. That's awesome. So you guys have software as well as, it sounds like books, coaching programs, everything. Yep. We kind of cover the the full, but it's it's hand in hand. You, you need to do the practices and the technology. It's M&A is so unique, different, uniquely different. It's not like all the trend we see in crypto and things like that, where it's highly qualitative. Uh, or quantitative, you know, it's not a bunch of numbers and data analysis. M&A is very qualitative. It's very much around people working together. The biggest problems you have in M&A are people issues. It's not like the data. Uh, and then that's where it, it becomes a lot of emphasis around the practice and then utilizing the technology to help standardize those practices to make the things a lot better for both sides working on the deal. 
What what are some of the biggest people issues you see, and and you know what are some of the solutions to those? Just stakeholder alignment, getting people aligned on, on the change that needs to happen, and when folks don't agree about it, I, I think the big thing is getting that alignment really really early in the process. That there's a goal when somebody acquires a business, there's a reason they're doing it. They have some vision of innovation. If you can derive the end state of what you're trying to achieve and bring that to the forefront. So it can be openly socialized with the executive team on both sides of the transaction. And they're laying out an outline of what that go to market is going to look like so that both organizations understand they have their own respective ways of delivering value to the customer that they have this clear understanding of what's that going to look like for the customer when they combine their organizations together um, and also understand each organization's cultures, like their values, what's their leadership approaches look like. Getting that alignment on those things around the goals, how we're going to get there and the way of working together to get there, that's what's going to make it a lot better results. Otherwise, you don't, you kind of haphazard about it, a lot of last minute planning on stuff, and then you get a lot more friction because M&A is hard. It's, again, the largest magnitude of change management organization is going to go through. When you get acquired, you're getting peeled back layer by layer and integrated into another enterprise. Um, that that's not an easy thing to do. Yeah, I went through a few you know M and A's back in my accounting days. I'm a CPA, and you know as a as a as a team member, there's a lot of, you know always uncertainty, and you know what's going to happen? Am I going to have my job? Am I going to have to move? All that kind of stuff. Um, and so yeah, I mean you know, and one of the things I think is entrepreneurs. I know myself. You tell me if I'm right. Is they don't think about um, you know their exit. You know, they get into business because they're passionate about, you know, in my case, helping people get, you know, more healthy and fit or, you know, passionate about whatever they do. And and they don't really think about, um, you know, how am I going to exit? Am I going to, you know, sell? Am I going to merge? Am I going to, you know, give it to my kids? Like, how, when do you think people should start thinking about their exit plan, Keyson? Probably a couple of years ahead of time. I, I think there's there's two big components that stick to stick out. One is a lot of housekeeping needs to happen. If you're going to have potential buyers looking at your business, it's literally just like a house that you're trying to sell. You got to keep it clean. You can't have broken stuff and, and things of that. So getting an understanding of what buyers are going to be looking for, the financials, the operations, make sure it's really sound and buttoned up. Uh, it's a lot, lot of preparation there. And then I, I think understanding what your goals are with the exit would help you get a sense of who you can start talking to early about potential suitors to acquire your business. Um, I, I think it's important. If you wait till the end, you're going to end up hiring a bank. They're going to run an auction process. Uh, you, a lot of people don't realize the auction process. Yes, it gets a, a high price, but you also deter a lot of buyers. And if one of your goals and objective is to find a good home for your organization so it can continue to grow and perspire, you're going to have different considerations. You're, you're, you really want to put more of long-term considerations into that to really understand what's unique about these potential buyers. So thinking of your space, even mapping it out, who those potential acquirers would be and starting to get to know them because you, you, there's usually in a large corporation, for example, there's a corporate development function. That's their job is to acquire companies, find those inorganic growth opportunities. They'd be happy to, to at least have those intro conversations. Maybe you warm it up with a partnership opportunity uh, that could potentially grow into an acquisition but 
finding that out because we talked a little bit about the fit he's got to have a good culture fit and things of that uh if it's objectively just to get a highest price you know you may want to just work with the bank and run a very competitive auction process um but uh, again if it's more of really finding a good home you may have the long view on it and want to take your time to meet potential suitors over a period of time uh, and I think it just creates healthy, healthy way of making the transaction where you have a good relationship, foundation, understanding of the organization's ways of working. Um, so th- those are some things like definitely if you're thinking to exit, it, t- it takes some time. I would at the very least like one to two years ahead of time, start thinking about that. And then getting advisors, I guess, would be another one to add in there. A lot of people don't realize there's so much with this. It's it's just for somebody going through it first time, you don't want to go through this big learning curve on your own and trip up on those mistakes because they're going to be extremely expensive mistakes, uh, very regretful ones. Get get the advisors in. It's typically not your typical corporate attorney you're working with. Find somebody that has experience in the space, specifically, not only just M&A, but working in your industry with similar size deals, in, in fact, uh, and build that that level of trust with them. Get, check some of the, the references they, they may have. But I think it's really, really important is to have good advisors to help you through that process. It's a lot of people underestimate how intense it is when you get through the whole diligence process and people are checking every little piece of your company. It gets frustrating. You're going to get wore out. You're going to get fatigue. Uh, you're going to have your teams because you don't want to open it up to everybody to know about the sale. So those few folks involved, they're going to get burnt out. And, and having those good advisors in place can really help with uh, that process so it goes smoother. Yeah, one of my best friends that went through it about four years ago and you know sold his company to a much larger company. And man, it's the most stressed out I've ever seen him. And you know, got through it, it worked out. But that's great advice. I mean, I I'd never for a long time never thought about what what am I gonna, you know, how am I gonna exit my business? And then I have a mentor that taught me, said, Russ, most people they don't, and then they end up getting worn out and they end up giving their business away. Like that's you know, 98% of businesses. There's only a, and then he has taught me there's only a small percentage of businesses that even have more than 10 employees, you know, and, and most, if you can break into that, and I don't know if I've heard different numbers, but like, there's, you know, I've heard 3 million, you know, I've heard 5 million, I've heard 10 million, but what, if you can get to a certain number, then that's when other companies are going to get interested, you know, in actually purchasing you. And, you know, if you're going to play the game, as we taught me, you might as well put the systems in place. Even if you don't want to grow into a large organization, put the systems in place so that you run like a large organization, you make the money where acquisition is a, option but even if you don't you're going to have a business that you that's much more enjoyable systematic and profitable you know no matter how you decide to exit i agree i I think one of the points adjacent to what you just mentioned is the value of your business is based on the buyer so it's there's no like real this is the price of your business it's it's what the buyer is going to pay for it so really understand what's the value of your business to that buyer because it changes per buyer. Are they a private equity firm and they're purely looking for a first-time investment in the industry and it's going to be a platform play for them that they're going to buy your business and look to tack on other businesses? They're probably going to be very financially oriented about making sure there's a good return and they're paying a good price. It'll be based on some kind of multiplier. Whereas if you had a large strategic and they have a large infrastructure, large distribution network, they may look at your uh, company in a very different way, that here's this product that we can add into our distribution network that we can make in a 50X what the revenue is. And they're primarily looking for your product 
as opposed to the the business and the revenues. They just want that that product. And they're going to pay based on that, where they know that, like we can create so much value because we had this massive distribution network. Now, all of a sudden, they're not even looking at your current revenue. They're looking at what potential revenue they can create. And then and now, all of a sudden, they're giving you a totally different offer from a different view about what your company's worth. So really get a sense of that. And, and it helps build your case, too, when you can start getting that sense from the different buyers and how they look at your business to help them articulate it and build a stronger business case that they need to present internally to get the buy-in. Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. My, my same mentor mentioned he sold his business for 77 times EBITDA and he he presented it not as what it's worth, but what it's going to add to um, to to the to the buyer. So that's uh, really, really interesting stuff. So I know you've got a, a busy schedule today. I want to want to uh, respect that, but I want to hear, you know, kind of rapid fire, a few more questions, Keyson. Sure. What are three of your top, you know, strategies and entrepreneur lessons that you've learned, you know, maybe where you can help some people, mistakes, you know, you've made, lessons you've learned, where you can, you know, help others avoid those and, and you know, take the shortcut, uh, so to speak. I, I think um, validation, just validate things early, early. Uh, entrepreneurs oftentimes get an idea and they socialize idea, convince others that it's a great idea and they want to rush to raise money and build it. Uh, the big thing I learned the hard way is spend the time to validate the problem you're trying to solve. Identify the cohorts of potential customers and go talk to them and try to be as unbiased as possible. I think you can look online and customer development interviews or there's different terms for it. And you try to frame these interviews, you reach out to people and even telling them, Hey, I'm trying to solve this problem. Wanted to interview you. That response rates, even early indicator if people even care about the problem uh, that you're trying to solve then when you get those interviews, trying to be unbiased as possible, you know, I'm not trying to pitch you my solution about selling your company, Russ. It's like, Russ, when you think about selling your company, what's the biggest challenge that you're facing, right? And then just be as unbiased as possible. Even taking that approach, a lot of times you'll identify a bigger problem to solve that, you know, steers you in this different direction. So really taking that, that feedback approach from the very beginning on the problem to solve and continue that feedback loop as you model solutions you can do early mock-ups i'm just this stuff is very cheap i can do this with a a freelance designer i can hire them somewhere online a student and do some early mock-ups of a solution present it get the feedback and keep and this allows you to iterate if you do it right you're aligning some early customers at the same time and when you do go out to investors you have some validation hey i talked to 40 people this is the pattern this is what i learned you've actually improved your language on how to solve that problem and the solution you're developing. So now you can speak more comfortably to these investors and get that the buy-in from them and, and raise that capital and keep it aligned with that journey as you continue to iterate to take that solution to market. And at the t- same time, you're getting feedback on the solution. You can also get feedback on your go-to-market and understand how the customer is going to buy your solution. What's your, that distribution model look like? That's one of the big ones. Um, I think another one is just thinking about your own personal values. Um, this one didn't come a little later till I was actually managing a team and trying to struggling with some of the leadership components for us. And it took a while for me to identify what are my key, my, my are discipline, learning pattern, and empathy. Uh, and, and if you can sort of understand that about yourself, keep your front and center and build around it and, and make that core because you want to start shaping your company culture and just ha- being conscious about it and, and living it, you know, having those daily reminders of the, this is who you are. These are the things you live by. 
and being able to talk about it. I, I think that helps create some pillars as you shape the culture of your company, which is going to be really important as you grow and attract talent because you want to know what your organization stands for and be able to attract similar people that believe in those things. Those are a couple of things that stand out. That's huge, man. I love the last one. I mean, the you know, it's not just having people, it's having or even people that can do the job, but the right people that believe in your vision and can get aligned with you. I've I've learned that um, in in my own life. My company's grown, you know, more than ever. So, uh, two last quick questions: How how is health important in regards to being a CEO business owner? I I was just talking to my kids about it this weekend because they always on devices, right? And they're kind of sitting around. I'm like, guys, no. there's a connection between your body and mind and you really got to drive your body health is important because it is connected with your mind. So the, you you really want to work on both. Uh, So I always look at what the, pardon me. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, it's a, you got to do both. You got to exercise physically and you got to exercise mentally. Yeah. That's why I'm always challenging kids. You got to do a sport, physical activity, but I want you spending some time reading and, and work on the mental concentration. You got to do both. And that's what really keeps you well balanced and shape and that energy and drive to achieve your goals. Couldn't agree more. So what do you do? Kisan is a, is a busy CEO, you know, for your, you know, one thing for your health, one thing for your physical health, one thing for your mind that you do regularly. Sure. Uh, I, I've been, I, I, I fluctuate between, I, I don't do the core lifting weights as much as I used to. I think my joints are feeling it now, hitting 40. So I do a lot more of yoga Pilates. And then I alternate between it's either yogi plot, yoga Pilates in the morning or Peloton I get on and cycle. If I can't outdoor cycle, I live in Chicago, so it's all weather dependent here. So, but those, those are the things I, I do. I, I bounce between cycling and, and doing some of the uh, little f- flexibility exercises in the morning. And then uh, reading is a really key thing. I try to read at least half hour a day. Even though you read all these little blog, short form stuff, it doesn't count when you can read a book and try to concentrate for a full at least half hour. Uh, that's the other thing I do to try to keep my mind there in tech. Awesome, man. What's a, uh, what are you reading now or what's a book you'd recommend to the audience? I just finished Michael Dell's biography. I've read a lot of biography from successful entrepreneurs and I, I was impressed. It was well-written. It takes you right inside his head and his voice. Uh, and from what I heard, the audio, I guess, is, is actually done by him. But reading's better. You retain at least three times more information. But I, I, I recommend it. It was a great book, great story. Um, yeah. I agree. There's something about reading a physical book. I'm probably 90% audio books just because I'm on the go so much. But uh, you know, it's hard to find time with business. And I have, I have three little kids. But there is something about reading uh, physical book. I try to read at least at least one a month and do a bunch of audios. So appreciate you. So before we leave, I want to make sure people are able to contact you. Keyson, where can people find out uh, more about you and DealNet? Sure. I would say if anybody's interested in learning about M&A, it's an industry, a lot of interesting roles that people don't know about. Uh, you can visit mascience.com where we have over 350 published blogs, eBooks, a bunch of podcasts. Um, that's probably the best way. I'm on LinkedIn. It's Kisan, K-S-O-N, Patel. Awesome. Awesome. You guys check out Kisan. Very smart, successful guy. This is important, guys. This happens in the real world. M&A is real. It's important. Most of us don't think about it. So Kisan, one uh, last uh, parting words uh, for people for 2022. What should they be focused on? Empathy. I, I just... Uh, 
that's what it comes down to. I think a lot of times we don't pause to spend time to understand how other people are thinking about things, how they feel and why they feel that way. A lot of times we enter meetings with our own agendas and top of mind and what we're trying to get out of it. But if you can put that to the side or even the subjects, your areas of expertise and assume you don't know anything or what you know is wrong and really intently listen and understand other people's goals and what they're trying to achieve, uh, challenges they're they're looking to overcome and align yourself to help people uh, on those things, you'll get a lot further than pushing your own agenda. I love it. That was from the heart. It came straight out. I could feel it. Um, hey, Kisan, I appreciate your brother. You guys be sure to share the show. I know you loved it. Check out Kisan and make sure you are great. Take care of your health. Take care of your business. Take care of your family. See you next time. Rush Yeager here. Thanks so much for listening to the Becoming Titans podcast. If you're a successful business owner, entrepreneur, or executive, consider your company as having a true purpose and would like to be a guest on this program, please visit rushyeager.com forward slash apply. And hey, if you got value out of the interview today, I'd be so grateful if you simply would share it on your favorite social media platform. And if you know someone who would be a great guest for the show, tag them on social media to let them know about it and include hashtag Becoming Titans. I love seeing you guys' posts and guest suggestions. We're regularly putting out new episodes and content, so to make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and really mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more about what I do, go to RussJager.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram, all under my name. Thanks again for listening. Have an awesome day, and we'll see you next time.